Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Their homeland, and they come back, but he says that they can't come back and appear before him unless they bring Benjamin, which is Joseph's full brother. And then he sends him back again, but he puts his own cup in Benjamin's sack of grain, and they realize that the cup's in there, and they are afraid that he's going to think that uh, that Joseph's going to think that they've stolen it. And there's this, there's this very odd back and forth stuff that's going on. So all of this stuff is going on. And then he brings them in and he feasts with them. You know, it's, it's all very disorienting for them. I'm sure they had no idea what was going on. What is happening? Of course, Joseph himself experienced some disorientation, right? When he goes out to... Uh, just take his brothers a message, and the next thing you know, he's in a pit, and then being sold off to a land that he's never been to. That was probably pretty disorienting too. So Joseph is there, and he reveals himself to his brothers. And I'm trying to imagine, see if you can imagine, just the response that his brothers must have had. This profound mix of emotion. Terror, I'm sure, was part of it. Here's this man who obviously has power to do pretty much whatever he wants with them. Suddenly is revealed to be the very person that they brutally betrayed. And mercilessly betrayed. Incredulity? How on earth did Joseph get to this position of power? The, the, the weight of the unknown? What's going to happen? Was he, what is he going to do to us? Is he going to take retrib- retribution? Is he going to wipe all of us out? Except Benjamin. They probably thought that Benjamin was safe. What's going to happen? So he reveals himself, and in Genesis 50, 15, realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers said, what if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrongs that we did to him? That's a pretty reasonable thought, isn't it? What if he's holding a grudge? Grudges don't die easy. There are cultural wars that are still going on in this earth that have been going on for thousands of years because of grudges that are being held on to. So they approached Joseph saying, Your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, Forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. Now, that was probably a little white lie, right? That, that their dad actually said, hey, go tell your brother that I'm telling him to forgive you. 
Now therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also wept, fell down before him and said, We are here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good, in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. What was their request? Will you forgive? Will you forgive? It sounds so simple. Like the Nike ad. Just do it. Right? Just do it. And yet, we realize that it's not. It is way more complicated than that. It's not like a switch or a button that we can just turn on or press. Okay, activating forgiveness. There's the woundedness, there's the pain. There's what might happen if we let go of it. It's a very complex, and sometimes we want desperately to let go, and we don't know how. It's not as easy as just obeying God. In fact, sometimes our effort to obey God actually gets in the way of the, pro- the process. Now think about this. As good Christians, when we're wounded... What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to forgive, right? And so in an effort to obey God, be obedient, and also maybe to do good for ourselves, we might say, okay, Lord, I'm forgiving, and, you know, try to give that to God, or think that we've given it to God, or say I'm giving it to God, and yet that wound is still there. That thing is still there in us. And we may believe or have made the effort thinking that forgiveness is just an act, a singular event. We either have done it or we haven't. And therefore, actually circumvent the process that we often have to go through in order to truly arrive at a place of forgiveness. There's actually a a term for this kind of trick that we play on ourselves. It's called spiritual bypass, where we use something, some kind of spiritual or religious language, like, I'm just giving that to God, to avoid the process of actually dealing with that thing that's so difficult. And we dress it up in religious language or religiosity. And look, sometimes God enables us to miraculously forgive. And thank you, Lord, for when that happens. But so many other times, forgiveness is so much harder. And it takes work. Because there's things that prevent us from forgiving. What are some things that might uh, prevent us from forgiving others? Well, it could be that 
we think that if I forgive, I'm just setting myself up to get hurt again. I'm just going to let them off the hook, and they're just going to do the same thing all over again. I'm not doing that. And if you don't understand really what forgiveness is, then you could do that. For some people, the anger or the grudge that we have actually serves as fuel. There's this whole line of psychological research called grudge theory in which uh, researchers propose that grudges actually have positive benefit for us. And they're right. There are positive benefits to have from holding a grudge. Sometimes that grudge fuels you. Think about someone who loses a family member and they turn that pain into energy to create an organization that tries to prevent that thing from happening again. I've seen interviews sometimes with some of those kinds of people. And you can still, years later sometimes, you can still feel the anger. And that anger fuels them. It feeds their drive and their efforts. Sometimes the agony of injustice is too great to let go of. If I forgive them, then justice won't be done. It will not be served. Sometimes there's even a sense of righteousness in our anger. But as the victim, we feel entitled to hold on to anger, to hold on to that grudge. And other times, there can even come a perverse pleasure in it. To continue to hold on to the anger and not relieve, not, um, not relieve it. And then, of course, I mentioned there are times where we desperately want to get rid of our anger and we just don't know how. So what do we do? Well, I think, first of all, we might try to recognize why we should forgive. Why should we forgive? Well, I mean, the first reason I can think of right off the top of my head, and you're probably thinking of this too, it's because God asks us to. God says forgive. In fact, he says, Jesus said it in pretty stark terms that we needed to forgive. If you think about the parable of the, of the unforgiving servant from Matthew 18, 23 through 35, this is the, the parable where um, there's a servant who owes the king 10,000 talents. Now, I, uh, I went on to Google, as one does in this kind of situation, to try to figure out what, what exactly is a 10,000-talent debt. Well, 10,000 talents in, in our modern um, currency is somewhere in the neighborhood of $226.3 million. $220 million. 
That's a dip, right? <laughs> and if you remember what happens, the king goes to collect on the debt. And the servant's like, please, have mercy. There's no, I just, I don't have $220 million laying around. He throws himself at the king's feet and he begs for mercy. And the king forgives. He wipes a $220 million debt clear. And then that servant turns around, leaves there, and goes to collect on a debt that he is owed. A hundred denarii. Again, modern day currency. That's about $7,200. You know, not pocket change, but not comparable to the debt that he was just forgiven from. And he is merciless. You will pay me this debt that you owe me. And if you don't, you'll be thrown in prison and tormented until you can. I've always thought it was odd when people owe you money to threaten with throwing them in prison. How are they supposed to get the money to pay you back if they're in prison? But anyway, um, so this was discovered, of course, and the king uh, is furious, as you can imagine. Hey, I forgave you $220 million and you can't forgive 7200 bucks for one of your co-workers here. And Jesus is very clear. He says, look, the lesson here for us is if you do not forgive, God will not forgive you. And he says it that starkly. Now, I think this is an example of, a, of an, illustri- an illustrative tool that Jesus often use, uses, um, uh, which is exaggeration for the sake of making a point. Because Scripture is very clear that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And that God's forgiveness on the cross is absolute. But this is the importance that Christ is placing on our need to forgive. And I think it's interesting here to consider what forgiveness means in this context. What is it? It's the wiping away of a debt. The idea that something is owed to you. And we choose to relinquish it. We choose to relinquish it. Now that's important because when we're forgiving, we are, we, I mean, what we're doing is we're, we're considering a, a, a genuine wrong that's been done. Not like, it's not like imagine slights. Right, so so somebody who, you know, they, you know, you're walking through the store and you don't see each other and you bump into each other, that nobody's wronging anyone in that case. It might be irritating, but nobody's wronging anyone, and so it's easy to say, oh yeah, no no problem, no worries, and go on without a thought. It can be, but for a real crime, the murder of one son. Or for family to betray you. Those are real debts. And forgiveness is seen here as 
a wiping away of that. Another reason, just, you know, for the record that we might forgive is because it's actually good for us. It's good for me, the one who has been hurt or harmed. It's good for me. Now, if, if obedience to God is not enough to kind of compel you to want to forgive, then maybe something a little bit more self-serving uh, would be motivating. And that's okay. I mean, look, ultimately, didn't we all originally come to faith in Christ for selfish motivations? I want to be saved, right? God's not beyond you uh, capitalizing on our... Uh, our self-centeredness, or our self-interest, I should say, which is different. So some of the things that forgiveness does for us, it decreases our depression. People who forgive are less depressed. They're also less anxious. Interestingly enough, unforgiveness comes with weight, physical weight. I I found this Research to be so intriguing. They took two groups of people, people who self-identified as forgivers and people who self-identified as unforgivers, and they asked them to jump as high as they can, as high as they could. And the difference was something like four inches difference. The forgivers could jump four inches higher than the unforgivers. Now, that seems crazy, right? But it just indicates that there is something physical in our bodies. Weight that we carry when we don't relinquish the burden of unforgiveness. Actual weight that we carry. We have more self-esteem. We have better relationships. We have improved self-perception. All of these things are positive benefits of forgiveness. And yet it still can be difficult. It still can be incredibly difficult. Even when we know how difficult it is. I mean, even when we know all the benefits. I think it was Anne Lamont who said, um, oh, I'm going to get the person wrong on this, but somebody said, it was not me who said it, it was somebody else said, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Because the person who's most harmed by our unforgiveness is us. I imagine what, do you, can you think about what Joseph's brothers were doing while he was in prison in Egypt? They were just over there living their best life. You know, hanging out with dad, you know, growing the farm, spending time with their families. You know, maybe a guilty thought here or there. But after a while, I'm sure that faded. And Joseph could have held on to that and just really wrecked himself. And it would have had zero impact on the people who betrayed him. None. All we're doing is continuing to allow people to victimize us by refusing to forgive. All right, I'm going to wrap this up. In doing so, though, I want to I do two things for you. I want to help you understand a little bit about 
what our role of forgiveness is, and then I want to tell you, talk to you a little bit about how do we do it. Because it's not just a decision. How do we do it? So first of all, I think it's important that we recognize the distinction between what God does for us when He forgives us and what we do when we're forgiving. When God forgives, He is objectively removing our sin from us through the work of Christ on the cross. There is a genuine, real, legitimate, thorough removal of our wrong. Praise God. When we forgive others, we're doing something else, though. It's that debt thing. They owe us something because of their wrong. And we're relinquishing it. We're freeing ourselves and that other person from the brokenness of the relationship. We're not removing their sin from them. We're not removing their guilt. They're still guilty. We're just saying, I no longer want to be bound by what you owe me. Have you ever had somebody owe you something? You know, that can be just as much of a burden for the one who's owed as the, the one who's in debt. It can sour your relationship with the person. It can bring resentment. Why haven't they given me that $10 yet? It's just $10. I've asked them for it. Hey, you got that 10 bucks? Oh man, I'll get you next week. That can be burdensome. That seems simple and silly, but it can be really burdensome. So we're wiping away that thing that's owed. And I want to be clear about what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. You may need to forgive someone that you also do not need to be in continued relationship with. Because that person is not a safe person. That person will continue to wound you or damage you. To forgive them is not to reconcile. Not necessarily. It can be. It can, but it's not necessarily. It's not to relinquish justice. People can still face justice. And it's not to return to a vulnerable place of continued wounding. To forgive means I am releasing that debt and I'm also releasing my ill will toward the other. And that's all. So I want to, as we wrap up, I just want to talk about these hard times of forgiveness. What do we do with them? When forgiveness is tough, Everett Worthington is a psychologist who has studied forgiveness for years and years. He's also a Christian, and he's done a lot of his research at Virginia Commonwealth University. And he's developed a model for helping people to work through forgiveness. I think this is fantastic because the Bible often tells us what to do, but it doesn't always tell us how to do it. 
The Bible teaches us how important forgiveness is, but it doesn't always sit down and outline the steps for us. And it doesn't always need to, because sometimes we can just forgive, just like that. But other times we get stuck and we need help. And so Everett Worthington says that there's a few steps to it. You know, first of all, we got to understand what the, the grievance is, you know, what the woundingness is. And if we can, we should empathize with the person who's forgiven us. But that can be a really big ask in some cases. Because sometimes there is no legitimate reason for the person to have done what they've done to us. But he says what we can do is we can make a decision to act in a moment of altruism. We can make a, make a decision to be altruistic. I'm going to give a gift to someone. So first of all, to be altruistic. Second of all, to commit to it. To commit to it. Publicly, maybe. Maybe to say to your spouse or to a friend or to a family member, or maybe even to that person, you know what, I'm trying to forgive you. And I'm committed to this because I know it's going to be good for me. I don't want this between us. And I don't want this to continue to, to damage me. So I'm going to forgive you. And you may need to explain, or maybe not, hey, it might take a while. But I'm committing to this. And then the third thing, actually his fifth point, but the third thing I'm going to say is hold on to it. To hold on to forgiveness. Because those feelings of anger and bitterness and resentment, they come back. They roll back around. When I said that forgiveness is not a switch, I mean, we can make a decision. But if you've been in this world long enough, you know that making a decision doesn't necessarily mean that your emotions are going to follow suit. Not immediately anyway. But we can continue to hold on to it. And those feelings will come and go. And when I've chosen to forgive and that anger comes back up, I remind myself, I'm forgiving this person. And I'm really angry about it right now, but I'm still choosing to forgive. And I'm going to hold on to that forgiveness. As we hold on, eventually peace comes. Peace within us. That person may never change. They may try to do it again to somebody else. But I don't have to continue to be bound by it. I don't have to continue to be hooked by it. And along the way, you might have to be gracious to yourself also. Because we can get really wrapped up in guilt. Why haven't, Lord, why haven't I been able to forgive this person? I must be a really bad Christian because I can't make this happen in my heart. Give yourself time. Give yourself grace. And maybe forgive yourself 
along the way too. In Iran, the victim's family has a lot of power to decide what happens to the perpetrator of a crime. And in this case, Samara really wanted um, Bilal to pay. She really wanted that. Several days before the hanging, she began to experience her son in a dream. And her son was saying to her, forgive. And she wrestled. She wrestled and wrestled and wrestled wrestled with it. Right up to the very moment, the very moment, the rope was around his neck. And they were right at the, the, the point of about to, to do the deed. And in that moment, she relented and stopped the execution and forgave. He still had to pay for his crime. She didn't have the power to wipe away the, the prison penalty. But she got to decide whether he lived or whether he died. And so in a moment and an act of forgiveness, she chose for him to live. And to unburden herself of that weight. Joseph also chose to forgive. I don't know if his brothers ever actually believed him. I think they like moved really far away or something. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I know he says he's forgiving us, but, you know, what we did was pretty messed up. So I'm going to get out of here. (laughs) But he did. He chose to forgive. And I would just encourage you, partner with the Lord. He'll walk the road of forgiveness with you. Both yours and that towards others. again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.